0: This is Nature's Touch. I'm your host, Robert Lundahl, filmmaker and journalist.
1: I'll introduce myself in my traditional language, Hoqa, uh, Xinga Katunga Takali, uh, Mamtari Lherumunga, Nutan, uh, juno uh, Junoami Witakto, uh, Sinkit Arniagoq, um, Anaka, uh, Agnaoq. Uh, English Sarah, um, Marie Mead, uh, uh, David Blanchett, um, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Dungu uh, So, and Dungu So, my name is uh, Stephen Blanchett, Executive Director of the
0: Juno Arts and Humanities Council.
1: I'm originally from a community called Mamta When um, the missionaries came, they changed the name to Bethel, I guess kind of a play on um, a new Bethlehem maybe. Um, but uh, I live now in a community called Juno, which is the traditional homelands and the lands of the Llingit uh, uh, people. I live on Akwan, uh, which is the lands of the Auk tribe, um, but uh, in, in the southeast Alaska. But I did. I grew up in uh, Mamtelek, which is in the southwestern part of Alaska. Um, which, uh, if you look at a map of Alaska, would would be in the area of the Yukon and the Kuskokwim rivers. So the big, uh, the delta, the two big major rivers that uh, flow through Alaska. Um, and so, I grew up near the mouth of the. Uh, Cuscoquim River. My father is David Blanchett, who grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he's black. Um, um, he went out there in the military and my parents met in college and and uh, had me and my brother, Kishak. Uh, in episode four
0: of Nature's Touch, climate change is here. We're taking a journey with our guests, Kachung, Stephen Blanchett, and Mike Macy. In an intertwining of first hand stories, the observances which are the basis of scientific inquiry.
1: If you uh go back home in my area, it's very much it's very heavily in the Inuit Yupik uh people, tribe, right? So the majority of the people there in my area, in my home area, are of the of that uh, cultural background. So I'd say in Mamtariluq, where I grew up, I, uh, we're about 60 or so percent of the population because we're the hub. There's about 7,000 people that live in Mamtariluq. Um, and there are 56, 56 or 57 villages that surround the the community, that hub community. And most of the villages range from about 300. And a large village would be about 1,000. And when you get to those villages, that's when you're getting to about... Um, about, you know, 95 to 98% of the population being Inuit, uh, being Yupik. Um, There are no roads in and out of Bethel and there are no roads into the villages. So the only way that you can get to our communities is by air travel uh, or by boat in the summertime, Um, because most of the villages, all, all the villages are in the water system. Uh, so either on the Kasukwim or, or the tributaries to the Kasequim and then um, or on the on the coast of the Bering Sea and then we have uh, in the winter time you go by uh, over the land that's when everything kind of opens up that's one of my favorite seasons is the winter where, um, where everything freezes over and it just you are free to roam everywhere, the whole land just opens up, there's no limitations of where you can go because then you can cross over rivers and lakes and uh, over the tundra and it's a very beautiful time of the year and a lot of travel, inter-travel between the communities um, and that's when most of like the dance festivals and things like that happen um, and uh, a lot of sharing going on at that time so uh, that's yeah, that's what my home looks like and that's where I'm from
0: and author, body worker and Yukon traveler Mike Macy
2: I uh, grew up in New Jersey and as a 16 year old went to Olympic National Park with a Student Conservation Association to do uh, work in the backcountry for a three week uh, spell and um, fell in love with the Olympics immediately went back the next summer and um, and the following summer, when I turned eighteen, I got uh, a seasonal job with the Park Service and was a backcountry ranger in the Olympics for the next seven years. So until through ni- the summer of 1975, and worked uh, didn't work in the OA, but I hiked there a fair amount. I worked over the over the ridge um, on the mostly on the hull, uh, which is sort of premium. Olympic Rainforest on the west side. And then I moved to Alaska where I did all kinds of different jobs. Um, went back to graduate school, got a master's in English literature, and um, uh, have been living in Alaska ever since until um, 2018 when we moved to Oregon.
1: Many, many homes don't have running water, and you know. Uh, flush toilets and things like that—you know, things that people in the rest of the world take for granted—and um, so, uh, and and you know, when we have these communities all around the hub, the hub community of Monte we have villages like Gwinehaq and Akiak, and and um, that are really being devastated by COVID right now um, because you know, let's—I think. Uh, when you have a, a community and a way of life and living that has multi-generation, you know, living in one home. Um, and these are homes that were created and designed and built in places like Florida, you know, and, and, and for environments like Florida. And then they just kind of place them <laughs> in our homes on top of the tundra. Right. Um, and uh, so that infrastructure is not there to create, you know, to, to make, you know, to have running water, to have flush toilets, you know, they'd be all just freezing, right. They would just freeze up and all that kind of stuff. But so, um, but, you know, that's why it's running rampant in our, in our communities. I think Akyak, I saw yesterday, um, last night when I was looking through ACYAC is, is sit- sitting at about 60% of the community um, has been impacted by COVID and uh, many deaths. And so, and the same thing with Guinea Huck I think I saw was around 20-something percent um, of the community.
3: This is Robin Carneen of Namapa First Peoples Radio. Thanks for joining Robert Lindahl and myself for a campfire conversation on nature's touch. Worried about climate change and other environmental issues? So are we. Thanks for tuning in. We all can make a difference.
2: My wife and I have been spending a fair amount of time in the summers recently rafting on the upper Yukon and just seeing whole, basically whole riverbanks that were permafrost thawing and collapsing right into the river. And, um, and we're talking, I don't know, in terms of volume, um, just huge, hillsides collapsing and then the other thing of course that you see is miles and miles and miles of uh, recently burned over land because the fires you know it's hotter drier and the um, in the summer and the, uh, the forest all the way across into the boreal forest is just going up in smoke
1: our communities are, are on the banks of, of rivers and on the, on the shores of oceans, right. Of the Bering sea of uh, the Cusquim river, the Yukon river. Um, and then all these tributaries that feed into these larger rivers, uh, those two large rivers. So that's where most of the villages are. And so, and then when you get around there, it's just tundra. And the reason why it's tundra is because there's no trees that can grow because of permafrost. Right. Um, but in the last uh, in the last couple decades there has been um, a huge change happening uh, a massive change and what we're seeing now um, is the permafrost is has is gone now when I was a kid even in the beginning in in the hottest part of the of the summer uh, when we had our family members pass away you know we we you know, we, we it, usually in the wintertime, we'd have to wait uh, f- um, to to bury them unless we had you know in you know places like uh, some villages had like backhoes that were able to like dig out uh, graves and, and such. But it would take um, it take so long just to dig a grave.
2: We brought a um, we brought a guy from um, Shishmaref uh, to, to talk about what what's happening there. Um, and we brought a, uh, salmon, actually a, a bird biologist, fantastic guy, George DeVokey from Seattle, um, who had been studying black guillemots off, on the barrier islands off Barrow. And, um, they somehow, um, Someone had during World War II had left some some structures up there that they were able to colonize. Um, um, we had and but they're they're very sensitive. The, their nesting season is very short, and it everything has to go right for them to have success.
1: That's a small micro, you know, micro. Uh, uh, look at of, of, of change a small little family, one family, but it's actually happening to entire villages. Guhawk and um, and uh, um, with Scammon Bay and to and uh, and all the communities were having to uh, relocate entire villages. Uh, it's and it's yeah, and it's an unimaginable amount of money and it's not about the money at all you know but it's you know it's about people's lives and their safety but um so that's so we're we're everyone's coming together and and doing this um but yeah there's there are entire communities like Shishmaraf that are having to to relocate and it's devastating to to families and ways of life and history as it has been in my family and it has forever changed the makeup of my family which will never be the same my my kids will never Ever experience what was just a part of our life forever.
2: And the other guy that we had there was a fisheries biologist from from uh, University of Washington who was doing work on the Yukon River and documenting warming in the water, and um, at just so, you know where the Yukon River was, water temperatures were hitting sixty degrees temperatures that are too hot for salmon to spawn and. Um, we've been some of those upper Yukon tributaries you're seeing Chinook salmon that have come up you know uh, something like 1,200 miles to spawn and uh, you know they don't have a second chance it's conditions have to be right or you know um, well they're they're not gonna make it in and the whole all those villages the salmon are so important for for food and for dog food, um, for their Huskies and stuff. Um, and uh, for a certain amount of, um, uh, revenue uh, the Yukon for quite a while, I had a fisher. you know, the, those fish would be sold in Anchorage and other places, the big King salmon and stuff. A lot of impacts.
1: Um, back home as many people live in their villages and that's where their main homes are but in the summertime we go to our um, uh, summer camps and so we work uh, tirelessly all summer long uh, hunting and fishing and that's what we have to do because you know that's the only way to survive out there you have to go hunt and fish there's no grocery stores there's no convenience stores to go to to get you know food and produce and things like like that there are none right Uh so you have to you have to subsist that's a necessity and so uh every community every home every household has a has a camp so our camp had been there and on the shores of the Kastogum for generations and generations as long as we can remember that was our family camp uh, and then about uh, about 15, 20 years ago in, when everything started to change and um, and uh, the melting and all that uh, it, it made a huge change to the environment so we started losing our um, uh, erosion was, was rampant on 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 the lands.
2: Economic impacts here, climate here, um, fishing. You know, it's everything's sort of separate. But it, in in a traditional community, it's very, very. Um, it's all all one. Their whole life revolves around those caribou coming back every year and the caribou were uh, this was uh, early september the caribou were starting to thread back into the country from their uh their summer on the north slope
0: our music is from free music archive arrowkin seasonal flows from warm martian slopes and from makai beats maintained Creative Commons 4.0, and our guests, Kachung, Stephen Blanchett, and Bamiwa, the cut, Siku.
2: There's summer on the north slope, and folks were out upriver getting firewood um, and uh, and hunting caribou. Uh, You know, so you can float the the firewood down the river and and uh, take caribou meat back down to to the town. And um, everywhere we went, people waved us over. uh, We in a canoe waved us over to the bank and offered us. You know, they'd have some caribou ribs steaming in a pot. When we got to Old Crow, you know, the first thing we did was ask the 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 first person we met, uh, we asked the village, where where could we find the village chief so we could get permission to camp in town? And it was a young woman, and she said, oh, forget that. I'm living at my mom's. Um, You could just have our house Um, for a couple days because the plane doesn't fly every day back to Dawson. And uh, so um, just that kind of generosity. uh, You know, there's rifles and all kinds of, you know, her three hundred eight uh, yeah. caribou rifle in there, and um, and then we heard a story about one of the elders had just died, and um, a, I don't know a week or two before he had been in his nineties, and um, sometime a day or two after the funeral, uh, villagers were awoken because a huge caribou bull was walking right through the village, and. They just said, Well, that's his spirit.
3: This is Robin Carneen of Namapa First Peoples Radio. You're listening to Nature's Touch with host Robert Lindahl. Thanks for joining us by the campfire. Don't go away.
1: So, we actually had to uh, move our camp and we lifted every single one of our homes by hand like our like I said I told you every person has a role like we all uncles aunties everyone we went underneath our homes and we literally with our the, <laughs> the strength of our bodies lifted them up and put them onto logs and pushed them back as far as we could we did lose some of our structures and old mukiewicks and um, fish racks and uh, smoke houses that were um, hundreds you know years old, hundreds right And then they're gone. Uh, but we did save most of the structures and then um, unfortunately, that home that that way of life that I that was a part of my family from time immemorial has forever changed and it forever forever changed the makeup of my family. Um, so now we're all spread apart in different places, um, and we don't have that central, that central life and that central camp that we grew up in, um, and that's all due to the climate change. My brother and I, we started our band Bumioa about twenty-five years ago, and him and I, um, when we started it, we we weren't even called Bumioa; we were called. Uh, BIA New and Improved, kind of a play on the Bureau of Indian Affairs, but we're uh you know blanchettes in Alaska. So my dad, he's he's black, you know, he's a he's a and he, he's a minister. So we he grew up in Philly. Um and so he would ha- he had this little kind of family newsletter that he would send out to family down in the states and and he called it um Blanchettes in Alaska. And so we, you know, we did a play on that, and and so it's the BIA, right? And uh, so we were like, yeah, we're the BIA new and improved. So we came out, him and I came out with that, um, uh, with that group uh, in the beginning. So our whole, the whole premise was like to to mix our different culture. So you know, growing up with a, a father who was a minister, you know, African Episcopal Zion minister, minister uh and a mom who is a culture bearer, um, you know, very, very well known and respected culture bearer. Um, you know, she's she's a teacher, uh, teaches she teaches in university um, language. She teaches the Yupik language. Um, she was, you know, she's a traditional dancer and her and Chuna McIntyre and Teresa John and J- Vernon Jamila they started a group called Nunumta, which was the very first, like, you know, one of the first groups to go out and travel and and share our cultural um, practices, our music and dance. So they traveled all over the world when we were little kids, right? And then then she's part of a group called the 13 Grandmothers.
2: One of the things they're finding is that they're starting to be this phenomenal landslides in the Fairweather Range and the St. Elias Range because the glaciers, when they carve out a valley, they oversteepen the slopes. It's kind of a U-shaped profile with a almost vertical walls and then a flat bottom, as opposed to a, a river valley that's v shaped
3: uh-huh.
2: When you take the ice out, you have all this rock that's up there, and if it's got, uh, if it's been faulted or uh, had a lot of uh, freeze-thaw happening, um, You can have these landslides that that go five, six miles, drop. A mountainside will collapse way up near the summit.
1: I had these two very strong forces in my life. And so, uh, you know, really pushing the identity, right? My father was like, you're black, you're black, you're black. And my mom was like, you're Yupik, Yupik, Yupik. And so it was like really opposing each other. And so the way that... My brother and I kind of um, worked through this was to to meld it through music and dance through our different styles. So that's that gospel you hear. So that, because my father's a minister, right? So, you know, we had, you know, some, you know, much of our life in the church and hearing um, real strong black soulful gospel songs that were just amazing, but also these soulful songs. Um, on our mom's side because uh, my my grandfather was a deacon in the Russian Orthodox Church we heard Russian Orthodox Slavic style singing which had its own beautiful soulful uh, soulfulness to it kind of um, on the strain of like I don't know if you know the group Lady Smith Black Mombazo uh, yeah so that like you know singing these, Himinals, but in their own indigenous way, as Lady Smith did, right?
2: So, one of my very first experiences in the Olympic, you know, the the park has this very narrow wilderness coastal strip, and uh, with with a hiking trail along it, and you have to go over headlands, and it's kind of the headlands are dangerous, and um, and. So we we're working on at the mouth of a creek, um, a creek, and a, really a small creek that you, you could wade across. Any you know between each pool, anywhere you wanted. And um, so after work one one day, I left the beach and my my the fellows, students, and and started walking up this creek, and. Um, I don't know, I went maybe a quarter mile and it was just that primordial Northwest sort of jungle that you see ads for Visit Oregon or something. And it was just like, and you know, suddenly a bald eagle or two flew up from the ground, right? You know, maybe 50 feet ahead of me.
1: We grew up very traditional, yeah. Um, You know, we grew up pretty much in the time when things, you know, there was no, there was no television. There was like one station, KYUK, uh, or it was actually called Ratnet Rural Alaska Television, and it was one station. And not everyone had a, a TV, and and so it was like, you know, we we were out in nature all the time. We were always hunting and fishing and, and playing out in the in the nature, and and. Um, you know, hearing traditional stories and doing the thing where everybody had those roles of, like, you know, what everybody in the family had a role in it to play, uh, no matter who you were, from kids to to, to adults. So, uh, you know, we worked really um, hard together to be able to, to persist in, in, you know, such a remote place in a harsh environment.
2: I'm I'm just a New Jersey kid from the, I grew up in the New Jersey countryside hunt, fishing for little native brook trout, like this big and this big. And uh, you know, my eyes are like wide open. So I go a little further and there's a big pool there and there's two river otters. And they're, you know, they're scared by me. They're scared about me and they, they're, diving and then coming up and breeding, and there are two big spawning salmon in this pool. And it was just, I just had this sense that here was a place where the world was the way it was supposed to be.
0: So to find out more about my work, you can go to http colon slash slash Agence A-G-E-N-C-E rla.com and to find out more about nature's touch go to http colon slash, slash, P-O-R-T-L dot com slash natures plural hyphen touch
3: this is robin carneen of namapa first peoples radio thanks for sitting by our campfire at nature's touch Please join Robert Lindahl next time as he continues to share important conversations about climate change and other environmental issues. If you'd like to contact Robert, please email him at robert-studio-rla.com. At Be kind to Mother Earth. It's the only one we have.
0: In Episode 5 of Nature's Touch, Climate Change is Here, We'll be retracing Family Steps with Robin Carneen, Swinomish radio host and journalist. She's joined by MJ Jackson of the Bristol Bay Regional Seafood Development Association on the future of Bristol Bay sockeye and the native communities of the region. This is your host, Robert Lundahl, filmmaker and journalist. Until next time.